0: Hello before we start this episode just a quick update we reference uh, European Act in this as coming into effect mid 2024 the actual um, effective date is mid 2025 so minor correction hope you enjoy the episode thanks for listening to the Replatform podcast sponsored by Crown Peak and Elastic Path and hosted by me James Gedd, and Paul Rogers um we put a lot of time and effort into bringing you interesting guests thought leadership uh, and fun podcasts and we do all that for free help us keep it that way let other people you know uh, about the podcast so we get more listeners. Share our posts that we put out on LinkedIn and Twitter to amplify our reach. And the best thing you can do, if you haven't already, is rate the show on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you might be listening. So thanks, and let's um, set up our, our latest episode and introduce you to our guest. So we're focusing in on selecting the right CMS model for your e-commerce business and understanding some of the considerations around headless, non-headless CMS. Um, and we're really happy today to have someone who's got a massive amount of uh, experience and knowledge in the area. So Andreas Knorr, who's the Chief Product Officer at Crown Peak, an MD um, in Germany. So welcome to the podcast, Andreas.
1: Thanks, James. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, really looking forward to this because um, I know you do a lot of work around the product strategy. So before we start getting into the, the questions around the CMS tool... In, uh, could you give people a bit of an instruction so who you are, what you do and also for those who don't know Crownpeak from that CMS point of view like what, what is Crownpeak and where is it sit in the market?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I'm Andreas, uh, Chief Product Officer at Crownpeak uh, that means I'm responsible for the product strategy and product roadmap aspects for the full portfolio. Crownpeak is a, a digital experience platform vendor so we are focusing on uh, creating digital experiences optimizing digital experiences and quality checking digital experiences so there's a whole portfolio around that we have multiple products content management is uh, one of the um, products in the portfolio and uh, yeah looking forward to the discussion today
0: excellent and um so we're going to cover a kind of two core topic areas um so the first one is going to be understanding um, CMS models and what Crownbreak provides because I think this is really interesting. I know when we were talking about doing this episode, yeah, you know, you'd reference about, you know, the sometimes people not really understanding what having a headless CMS really entails and whether you need it. So that's really cool. Then we're going to go into Crown Peak CMS offering and specific capabilities to get that additional product context. So Paul, do you want to kick off on the questions? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um yeah, the first area
2: is quite topical for us as like well. We've obviously been working on a joint project and some of this has come up. But um first question for you, Andreas. So why should e comm and content teams understand the different um, models behind different CMSs? Uh, and why is it important before you start assessing and comparing vendors?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good question because it's it's actually a technical Topic and the, the good question here is why should I care, right? So there, there are I think two main models out there um, that people should be aware of. Uh, there, there's one way of integrating content and commerce, and that is doing this in a very deeply integrated native way. And the other option is more, uh, let's say, decoupled uh, way of doing this, which is also uh, signed with this headless terminology. Both, both aspects. Uh, or both models here uh, work quite differently from a technical perspective. Uh, the end user probably won't see the difference uh, here. So it's it's more something where let's say architects um, um, need to make a decision: what kind of integration do I actually uh, need, and what kind of integration do I want from a from a requirement perspective. So that that means it's a it's a discussion that we are typically having with uh, solution uh, architects, for example, on the customer side. And it's uh, sometimes some educational um, sessions are necessary to actually describe what is the difference between the the, the two models and uh, why uh, do I have to make a decision or is there even a hybrid solution available that uh, fits the needs.
2: Right, so that takes me nicely on to my next question, which is: Which CMS models do Crown Peak offer, uh, and how does it differ for the e-com teams in terms of how they're actually using it? Um, and then, what level of technical skill is required for the different models?
1: Yeah, yeah. So at um, at Crown Peak, we um, actually support both models that are just described. So we we have integrations that are uh, having a very technically deep integrations into the between content management and e-commerce systems the overall goal um we haven't talked about that at all is right why do I do that why, why do I integrate a content management system with an e-commerce system is uh, people want to improve shopping experiences in a in a, in a very specific way in a more content driven way in a more story driven way right that that is the reason why 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 people are actually doing this why should i invest in uh, that kind of technology if uh, there are a lot of um, companies trying to differentiate themselves from the competitors and from their competition and that is actually um, uh, using uh, content driven aspects here uh, is, uh, is a very successful model because uh, you know your product best right you know the story behind your pro- your products so that is, that is an asset that people more and more want to leverage if if they want to Im- improve their shopping experience.
0: Now, yeah, Paul, Paul alludes to the fact that we're working on a project where actually there's, there's a key decision around the, the CMS model. And we've definitely been seeing more demand and interest in the market for headless CMSs, um, which sometimes can be content teams not understanding mm-hmm. um, how they can achieve business requirements within a non-headless. But sometimes, actually, there are valid reasons. So, I'd love to hear from your point of view, you know, because you do a lot. Obviously, you currently works with a lot of different businesses across different verticals. What, why are you seeing some businesses move towards headless CMS? Like, what, what does it enable them to do, and uh, um, uh, what challenges is
1: it helping them solve? Right, right, yeah. Um, going headless or choosing a headless model. Um, There are a couple of patterns that I see over and over again why people are doing that. Um, uh, One of the most important drivers is more, um, let's say, business um, agility. So I want to have flexible models. Um, I want to have the opportunity to switch different aspects of my technology stack more easily. And that means the more decoupled the systems are, the easier it is. Right, so... For example, if I don't like my the front-end technology of my e-commerce shop because it's outdated, for example, do I need to change the whole technology stack or can I just replace this, um, the single component that I don't like, the, um, the, the front-end aspect of it, for example? So Headless enables people to have uh, a combination of tools that can be... Uh, integrated in a decoupled way that enables them to uh, make changes in their technology stack without uh, the necessity of a full replatforming exercise. That is a very strong uh, driver for, for Headless. So it's more business agility to change specific parts of the, of the stack.
2: Crown Peak, enabling organizations to build meaningful digital experiences for everyone, everywhere. Engage your customers with our content management system. Reach your entire audience with our digital accessibility and quality tools and grow your brand with our product discovery solution. Find out more at crownpeak.com.
0: Yeah, the thing that we're also seeing is, is I guess, the challenge of businesses if they're adapting into a headless to understand whether that's something that that they need specific technical resource in-house. So what do you typically see when people are moving towards that headless model? Do they typically like you know, it in, in enhance their like front end UX development team in house to, to be able to self serve, or do you see more people go down the route where the agency they're working for is managing entirely that headless um, implementation and the ongoing um, any coding work that's required?
1: Yeah. Um- so, um, so the, the technical implementation, if you look at the headless models and all the advantages that uh, come with the headless models, um, th- there is some cost to it as well. And th- that is, it actually requires quite some technical understanding and actually requires quite some technical skills and knowledge. Um, the question, is that something for an in-house team or is that something for an uh, external uh, agency for example that is a case-by-case decision and highly depends on the digital maturity of the uh, of the business right so there there are customers that really want to do this in-house because they want to own the knowledge and that is the most efficient way for them to do that that applies to the bigger ones Uh, that is what i've seen in the market smaller um, smaller companies are more uh, trying to uh, use external agencies to get this knowledge um, that is required here because they don't have the mature internal development teams that are required for for implementing an Atlas model.
0: And then one of the other education pieces I think is really interesting to chat about is what, what um, limitations or challenges you've seen when a business like a content team and a marketing team goes purely headless from having not used headless cmss before what are some of the i guess what are some of the, the things they need to to be thinking about some of the process changes that they need to be aware of
1: yeah yeah that's that's a good question um, the in general the the promise of Atlas content management. If we focus on the content management part um, for a second, the, the the promise here is, it's a it's a it's a content model that is decoupled from uh, where the content is being consumed. Right. So you can use the same piece of content uh, on a website. You can use the same piece of content uh, in a mobile channel. You can use the same piece of content in an email, for example. So. Fulfilling this uh, multi-channel, omni-channel um, promise here is, is one driver for for, for the headless topic. That, that all sounds great, and that is, um, that is good. But uh, what people often um, underestimate is uh, managing a content model that can be used anywhere in any kind of context is quite challenging because you don't see the result, right? Yeah, you're managing your content and you're creating, I don't know, uh, articles and blog posts and what what have you or smaller fragments of of content that then is being used somewhere. But uh, very often in the pure headless environment, uh, the marketing team is not able to see how does it look like on my website, for example. How does it look like on my website if I'm using a tablet, for example. So this what you see is what you get um, experience that you uh, used to have in a more traditional content management environment suddenly is gone. And that is really a challenge for a lot of people because they de- their workflow depends on this visual uh, um, um, uh, representation of what the, this visual double checking is everything right for my specific channel that is something that needs to be considered. How can I get back my what you see is what you get um, experience from an editorial perspective?
2: Great. Um, and I think that, uh, again, touches on the next question a little bit. So how do you think businesses should be approaching this like as business users? Let's say they have the technical capability in-house and you know they're going through a project that involves CMS. Like what questions do you think they should be asking when they're looking to make this decision? And I guess that's a really good example. If you know, a team is used to working in one way where they can visually see what they're building. Um, like, yeah, alongside that, like what other questions should they be thinking about?
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think um, deciding for the right for the right model, should I go headless? Yes or no. That is that always needs to be a uh, case by case decision because sometimes it's uh, it's more let's say efficient to not use a headless model right so headless is not any kind of silver bullet where it solves uh, every every pro- problem um, that you have in content management for example no that's that's not the case right so you you have to really make an active decision okay that is a use case where headless is really helpful and this is a different use case where a more traditional approach would be more cost-efficient or easier for the business user, for example. So, and the bigger the company is, the more hybrid models I see. We use headless in this specific use case, but uh, let's say more uh, traditional deployment uh, models in, uh, in another use case. And that's totally fine. Uh, so, as, as, as long as you can uh, manage the complexity uh, and as long as you don't have 10 tools to to manage 10 different output channels, that, that is a, a very valid approach to say, I am choosing the right content model for the right use case. Elastic Path is on a mission to break through the barriers that prevent commerce leaders from delivering extraordinary shopping experiences. Both business and tech teams are able to innovate on their own terms, fully embrace composability, and in turn, Never compromise on what's possible. Learn more at www.elasticpath.com.
0: Let's, um, let's lean with that context, that kind of market context, um, which I think is important because we always say when we're encouraging people to think about you know, what, what platforms look at is think about your model first. I think that's always a starting point. Some of the e-commerce platforms, if you don't understand what model and what operating, operational capability you want, it's very hard to then assess um, the, the individual solutions. So with that in mind, let's draw a bit more into Crown Peak specific capabilities. Um, so let's start on let's start on the like integration bit. So what what leading e-commerce platforms and ecosystems are is Crown Peak CMS most connected with? Uh, which ones do you play well with? That have existing like you know sites integrated with?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've standard integration with all the big relevant players in the market. So uh, I don't know, Salesforce, uh, for example, big commerce, Shopify, Spryker, and there are more. So uh, we have we have out uh, of the box integrations into all the relevant uh, e-commerce vendors. And I think the important part here is um, how hard is it to add a new one if you have uh, a solution that's not on the list. Uh, that that's also I think a strength of our platform. It's very easy to add an integration into uh, into new e-commerce system without spending um, a lot of uh, money and, and time to do this because the general, the general pattern, what is required, what functionality do I need, that's always the same, right? How do I do the, uh, the, the preview, for example? How do I do my workflow? How do I do my uh, time scheduling? How do I do my uh, personalization, for example, that is, an, that is an ongoing and repeating pattern. So we have some kind of e-commerce framework that is covering all this common ground. And there's very specific parts. I don't know, how do I get specific product information from the e-commerce platform into the CMS? That is part of the native integration that I just explained.
2: And um, just on that, so um, can you just talk us through like what the native integration looks like? like is it a case of, like if you were doing a Shopify implementation, like do you essentially have your own pre-built connector? Like, and then you would need to go through the process of kind of architecting out, like, you know, how you're actually going to build the models. Um, am just thinking, cause our listeners are at kind of various levels from a technical perspective. You know, we have a lot of people in Shopify in particular. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to just understand like what the average integration looks like kind of
1: end to end, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. So if you, th- if you think about, if the goal is you want to create a great shopping experience, let's say you want to modify the homepage of your shop, right? And what, what do you need? Maybe some promotional um, content, maybe some uh, editorial choices for, I want to promote this uh, specific product here and I want to provide a video for this specific product here. So if you're trying to, imagine the process of uh, wanna create a very specific new experience, what do I need as an uh, as an author, as an editor, for example, right? So, yeah, I need quantum management functionality. Sure, I need some kind of preview capability. How does it look like in the shop? But you also need access to the product catalog, for example, because you want to do uh, um, a promotion and then how do I get to the right product here? So uh, an integration into the the product catalog is... Uh, is key so, and that is part of this kind of native integration. Can I get uh, all the products that I need from um, BigCommerce or Shopify, for example? That is part of the standard connectors that we have between CMS and the e-commerce systems.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important one—the the integration of the product catalog, um, because the the number of times people want to do components which are commerce and content blended. Um, which become more challenging right. if you've purely got a content view. So that's interesting. Um question I've got. See, one of the things that that I always come up against with content teams when they're looking at native page builders. So I'm talking about a platform that's got its own page builder, whether that's a Big Commerce, you know, Adobe. I mean, they they all have them to varying degrees of of like uh, user interface capability. But the bit that most of them mm-hmm. are down on is scheduling and publishing. So you might be able to set something up and publish it a specific date but if there's no workflow um you can't you can't do complex more complex scheduling scheduling in advance for multiple different uh for multiple content components which restricts the content team's ability to right because it's you know if somebody's not going to be in on on the date where they have to publish it it then makes it more difficult um i'd love you to talk us through what 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 does crown peak enable like how how deep can you get in terms of um workflow for pushing content to somebody to preview for somebody else to then authorize to publish, versus that scheduling it across different like locations at different times. So yeah, can you give us a walkthrough of that, please?
1: Sure. Yeah, uh, I think the important part here is, um, well, scheduling of content that is something y- you do in a kind of campaign management way, right? So you're thinking through your campaigns. What kind of content should be uh, appear when and to whom? So it's typically it's a combination of scheduling uh, on one side and let's say permission based publishing or personalization for a specific target group. So this is it's a combination of of time control and permissions actually. Of course, you want to do this upfront, right? You uh, you want to plan this for the next week or the next um, months, for, for example. And what our content model allows is. You can, you can predefine all that at any given um, time and say, okay, this content gets specific uh, target group. This piece of content gets a specific um, scheduling info- information. should only appear on Monday, but should go away on Friday again. And then that is being processed by the, uh, by the e-commerce platform. So uh, you just define it. You push it over and then uh, then you are done from an editorial perspective. The rest is happening as some kind of background logic um, uh, in conjunction with the e-commerce platform.
2: Um, one of the biggest use cases I guess that we've seen and used ourselves for um, an external CMS or like an independent CMS is where a business either already has multiple, uh, instances across the platform of multiple locales and markets and there's a limitation within the e platform or they're looking to expand into new markets um, and they want to be able to not just manage content globally but also um, essentially have different levels where you can uh, use certain uh, fields globally or certain uh, content globally but then also kind of override a local level um, is this right. a common use case that you see? And how do you allow your users to kind of scale globally?
1: Absolutely. A very common use case for most of our customers, actually. We we typically have um, customers that are operating on a, on a global basis. So multiple brands in multiple locations with multiple languages, right? And there are different models of, of how can I actually uh, published and distribute content uh, over multiple brands uh, across multiple countries uh, for example and it needs to be some kind of workflow driven um, component to it as well because uh, sometimes I don't know there are um, there are content pieces that are mandatory so it's being forced to a, spe- to a specific um, uh, country but sometimes it's more like a subscription, Yes, you can get the piece of content, but it's optional. Do I want to use it? Yes or no. So you have local workflows within um, uh, a department, for example. You have local workflows where you can make the decision. Okay, new piece of content um, had been provided to me. Uh, That's great. Uh, What's what's required? Do I take it as it is? Do I need to do local translation? Because maybe only the English version has been provided, but... um, I need something uh, in French now. So, and that is not um, a service that has been provided on a corporate level. So, local translation is a very, very common use case, or local variations depending on what kind of country you are in. Not all products make sense, right? Not, not all, not, not all pieces of content make sense in a specific country so this this model where we, where we have okay we have a pool of, uh, of content that can be shared across multiple brands across multiple countries uh, but you have local decisions do I use it do I translate it do I modify it that is a very very common use case and what's required is a workflow engine that supports this kind of hierarchical uh, content model with the, with the possibility of local modifications.
2: Great, lovely. And um, I'm changing the next question because it's very similar to the other one. You've already answered it. Um, So, when I was going through your website, one of the things that I thought was interesting was the kind of testing and personalization side. And uh, I think both James and I have evaluated a lot of traditional headless CMSs recently, uh, which are really impressive, really good at managing data, but maybe don't have some of those features. So can you talk us through how the offering there works and how integrated it is with the content management side?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting aspect. So the, the personalization, we talked about headless a lot and we talked about decoupled a lot, I think the same applies to the content management and the personalization aspect. So a lot of more traditional vendors have this baked in as one solution which makes it very hard if you want to use it in a headless way for example that means um, you actually need a solution where the personalization aspect is decoupled from the content management aspect right and that if you if you have that foundation it's actually pretty easy to have different personalization uh, algorithms for example on different touch points or use it in a headless or non-headless way or in a, in, in a combination. So from an, from an architecture perspective, the, the flexibility to have a very highly decoupled content engine and a very high decoupled personalization engine, I think, is key the more omnichannel use cases you have.
0: Um, and another angle of the platform that is definitely of, of interest is around accessibility. Um, because I definitely see more people asking questions when they're they're doing selections around e-commerce platforms about accessibility, especially with high-profile cases in the US around ADA and, and people getting hands slapped and fines. Um, but equally, mm-hmm. you've got to think as a as a as a brand, you've got to think about the whole ecosystem of, of the different technologies you're plugging in. And I know that that Crown Peak's got got um, a, a kind of key offering in the accessibility space. Can you talk people through like? What what is the accessibility uh, capabilities and uh, how are those baked into the CMS as well?
1: Yeah, I think that's a super interesting topic, and it's it's getting more traction. Uh, it it used to be more an afterthought for a lot of people uh, thinking about accessibility, and uh, there there hasn't been a lot of investments in the past, um, depending on the. Um, the company or the brand but i think that will get uh that will change pretty soon because accessibility is is getting more and more relevant for uh for a lot of people globally actually the reasons are different from region to region if you think about the us it's about not getting sued right so that that is a very strong motivator there uh and if you Think about Europe. Uh, it's more upcoming regulations. So, for example, the European Accessibility Act that is more or less forcing uh, everyone to have an accessible accessible uh, website by mid um, twenty uh, twenty four. Which is not a lot of time left to to work on that. That is that is really something that is creating a lot of activity at at the moment and. Of course, it is the right thing to do because if you think about the, the number of people with some um, temporary or um, um, permanent accessibility issue, we're talking about a big group of people. So in, in the e-commerce, in the e-commerce uh, space, uh, if your website, if your checkout process, for example, is not accessible, you're losing money because people go somewhere else where, um, where people did a better job. Uh, if 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 the shopping cart is not, just not available, just uh, using the keyboard and not the mouse, for example, because people have some kind of uh, issues there, that that is something that actually you can't afford anymore nowadays, and for for good reasons, uh, regulations are coming up um, that tries to introduce that concept to actually every website. So that that is that is something where we see um, a lot of potential in the future. And the, the combination of, of course, content management and e-commerce and accessibility, that, that absolutely makes sense because you want to you wanna have an accessible uh, online shopping experience for sure. And that sometimes means, okay, I need to regularly check uh, is everything accessible, yes or no. I need to have a tool that is doing that for, for me. I need to have notifications if I introduce something new and then suddenly accessibility is bad. Uh, I need to know that. And then the question is, how do I fix these issues? Right? A couple of issues might be content-related. For example, an image should have an alt tag so um, that people with a screen reader can get an idea what does the product look like. Um, that, that is more content-driven aspect of accessibility but there of course are technical issues as well right can i reach the uh, the navigation or the categories uh, in my online shop just using the the keyboard yes or no it's just try it it's easy right open a website press the tab key and see uh, if you're able to navigate within your website uh, without using the mouse and you will be surprised a lot of, a lot of websites they just don't support that and that needs to be changed.
0: And in terms of so what I think people will be interested to hear next is what what does Crown P because we're focusing on the CMS and I know accessibility is is like a, a product alongside like all the other ones. What how does it work in the CMS world? What does the CMS automatically do to create accessible code? Because it's obviously people are creating content and that's spitting out the code to push into mm. websites. So, what what does Crampy do automatically? Versus, how does what sort of alerts does it give people where they then need to go and take action themselves? It'll be useful to get a few examples.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a good question. So, it's there, there's a tight integration between the accessibility uh, component and the content management component. And if you think about an editorial workflow, okay, and creating a new landing page for a specific product, for for example. I need to be aware of a couple of things. So there are guidelines out there. Uh, what um, um, web accessibility guidelines out there? What do I need to ensure? Right. So uh, I already mentioned. Okay, uh, you sh- you should have a headline for every page. For example, you should have an alt tag on for every every image. There should be a description for every video. Uh, the headline shouldn't be too short, but should also not be too long. For example. Uh, people have problems uh, reading complex texts, for example. So uh, there are a lot of rules out there that are let's say are um, general rules regarding web accessibility, but you also might have rules that are very specific for your brand. So that's that's also um, actually a scaling topic. Can I create my own rule sets on top of that? And if all the rules sets have been defined, then in the editorial process, you create something new and then the system t- tells you, hey, this image has no alt tag and this uh, headline is too long. I won't publish that until you fix this, this problem. So there's, there's an automated check um, uh, running in the background that ensures that nothing is getting published that does not meet your accessibility requirements
2: right yeah i think that's um a really nice feature and more like e-com solution should have that in place really because uh, i think it's such an important topic and you know we've got so many clients that have had issues um so yeah i think that's really good um final question and a big one so what is coming next in your roadmap so you've obviously got quite a broad uh portfolio of uh, solutions like you plan on introducing anymore or kind of yeah where are areas that you're looking to double down on or strengthen over the next kind of,
1: six 12 18 months mm-hmm. yeah um there there there's quite a long list of, of, of options there uh, so um I- integrations we talked about that a lot today integration is, is still um a, a, key focus for the roadmap, so having more out-of-the-box integrations um, available into different systems. The, the really big topic at the moment is, what well, a surprise, I guess, uh, artificial intelligence. How can that be applied to um, specific use cases? So, if we, if we take the, um, the example that we just mentioned, I'm creating a landing page and then my accessibility checker tells me how the, the, the headline is way too long here. Please fix that. That is something that um, generative AI tools actually can do automatically pretty well nowadays. So I can use the machine here. I can use um, AI services that are directly embedded into the content management or the accessibility tool uh, to fix these content-driven issues, for example. If I want to need if I need a description for a specific image, yes, of course I can create that manually, or I can just ask the tool. The tool knows, okay, there's a, a picture description missing. Please create a, a good description between three and five words that is describing what's actually in the picture. And the AI models are good enough to do that at the moment, and that's 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 nice and easy if you just do it for one page. But think more about scaling. Uh, you have ten thousands of issues on your on your website. The technology is able to fix this as a bulk operation. And please create all the missing ten thousand image uh, descriptions for me. So that is really um, boosting efficiency. That where you can apply. Uh, good AI services in conjunction with content management, in conjunction with e-commerce shops, or in conjunction with accessibility.
0: Yeah, that's not, it, it's amazing how, I mean, AI has been around for for ages, but it's amazing how it's just suddenly loads of people um, from a demand point have woken up to the expectation that that they should be getting this out of the tool that they're investing. Um, it's really interesting to see vendors like yourself building this into tools because, it's happening in other areas of the econ stack, whether that's on SEO tooling, whether it's on search and merch tooling, right. people adding more and more in. Um interesting is gonna be watching the next 12, 18 months and see how far it gets. Absolutely. Um, well, that that's uh, the end of the questions. Thanks so much for taking time, Andreas. If um if anyone wants to probe further um, around the capabilities of Crown Peak CMS specifically, like in the context of their business needs. Um, who can they reach
1: out to at Crown Peak? Well, uh, all relevant information is on the website, as always, crownpeak.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm happy to answer all the questions that you have.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll keep a keen um, eye out for the latest developments on the, uh, on the roadmap. So, Um, Thanks for joining us and thanks to everyone as always for listening. Hope you found it useful. Do reach out to Andreas for our LinkedIn if you've got any more questions or or, or any technical questions specific to the areas we covered. Uh, And keep your ear open for the next episode. We drop one every week. And don't forget before you go to give us that rating on Apple, Spotify, YouTube or wherever else you may be listening. Thanks very much. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gurd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.